you know, if I would have applied myself, I could have gone to the NBA. You think so? Yeah, I think so. But it's just like, it's been done. You know, I didn't want to, <laughs> I was like, I don't want to be a follower. Hi, I'm Jason Concepcion. And I'm Shay Serrano. And we are back. We have a new podcast from Wondery. It's called Six Trophies. Woo! And it's the f-ing best. Each week, Shay Serrano and I are combing through all the NBA storylines, finding the best, most interesting, most compelling stories, and then handing out six pop culture themed trophies for six basketball related activities. Trophies like the Dominic. Toretto, I live my life a quarter mile at a time trophy, which is given to someone who made a short-term decision with no regard for future consequence. Or the Christopher Nolan Tenet trophy, which is given to someone who did something that we didn't understand. Catalina wine mixer trophy. Ooh, the Lauren Hill, you might win some, but you just lost one trophy. And what's more, the NBA playoffs are here, so you want to make Six Trophies your go-to companion podcast through all the craziness. Follow Six Trophies on the Wondery app or wherever you get your podcasts. Listen ad-free right now by joining Wondery Plus. What up, what up, what up? Welcome into another edition of Green with Envy. As always, this is your boy Will Weir checking in. How you doing? How you living? Joining me today, as he does from across the pond, my podcasting cousin, the captain of the Taylor gang, the one and only Adam Taylor. What's up, Adam? Yo, what's going on, man? It's been a hot minute. We did a couple of back-to-back episodes last week, and then I just vanished for a hot minute, man. What's going on? Hey, it's all good, man. That's why we got the three-man weave. You know, you always got to fill your slot in the three-man weave. You got to make sure you're hitting all the right angles. So we got you covered here. That is one of the beauties here. But, you know, right now... We're recording this here on Friday morning, U.S. time. I know for Adam, sometimes the days get a little bit confused, but U.S. time, Friday morning here, right before Game 3, Celtics-Hawks. Celtics lead the series 2-0. Game is in Atlanta tonight, and we're going to talk about that. But there was some big news last night that dropped that we have to lead the podcast with. Malcolm Obama, a.k.a. Barack O'Brogdon, a.k.a. President is your NBA sixth man of the year, wins the award last night, hops on TNT to accept it. Adam, we've got an award winner in our midst here. By the way, made your boy a little little scratch here. Your boy's feeling feeling pretty good this morning with the with the winnings that Malcolm Brogdon put in his pockets. You know, how are you feeling this morning with Malcolm Brogdon taking home some hardware? Yo, first off, man, what happened to Bro Obama? You missed that bro, bro Obama. Obama. I missed that. I, see, That's my favorite. I, 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 I was trying to get on my Chris Vernon shit. I need, I need, I need more AKAs. I need more AKAs. I'll, <laughs> I'll, I'll, get, I'll get there one day. I'll get there one day. <laughs> yeah, I'm glad you're feeling flushed, though, man. That's a good way to start the weekend. If you've got any plans, go out and spend it. If you don't have plans, make some plans. You feel me? Um, on a side note, Monday, I go and watch Kevin Hart. I'm really excited for that. Ooh, um, yeah, that's going to be dope. Anyway, back to basketball. So, bro, okay, so look. Coming through into the season, everyone knows that I was quite skeptical of the Brogdon edition. I didn't know if you were going to go. I was going to bring this up, but I'm, I'm glad you're addressing it. Yeah, no, it. Like, I'll hold my hands up when I'm wrong, you know. I'll, I'll soon enough gloat if I'm correct. So I've got to be man enough to be like, no, you know, put that on hot takes exposed. Um, I, I was very skeptical. There was an injury history attached to it. I was very concerned. You've already got Rob Williams, who's injured, got a big, big injury history. And, you know, there, I feel like I was justified in my concern. But maybe I didn't look at the upside as much as what I should have initially. Now, obviously, as the season's gone on, 
I've become a bro lever, uh, a brog lever. I don't know, uh, a bro barmer lever. I don't know, a bro barmer light. I've become a bro barmer light. So um, I, I've changed tune. I've changed tone. I think that it was a fair, healthy competition between Brogdon and Quickly for this award. I think that for me, the fact that Brogdon won it is means that the, the NBA and the voters really kept to, to, to the tradition of, hey, this is a bench guy that gave you a huge impact, right? And Quickly was doing that for the Knicks, but he also started a bunch of games because it's the Knicks and they don't have the depth that Boston has. But Brogdon's done everything he was brought in to do. He's provided scoring off the bench, playmaking off the bench. He can change a game. I mean, you only have to look to the first quarter of that Hawks game in game two when the Celtics came out flat. Joe Mazzulla goes to Robin Brogdon off the bench and the entire like, outlook of the game changes in an instant. Brogdon just gets on the ball, a couple of post-entry passes to Rob, a lob pass, and everything's just roses from there on out. And to me, that was really quintessential of what Brogdon's been like for the team this season. Whenever he's come in, he's, he's held it down. Sometimes he's elevated the team. Sometimes he's been a conduit to what's already going on well. But it's been very rare. I'm not going to say it hasn't happened because that would be a lie. It's been very rare where Brogdon's came in and the team's looked worse. Yeah. Right? He, there's he, been times. He, he's a, there's definitely been times. I think he's, and, and this is one of his benefits, right, is he's a little bit of a different player. So every once in a while when he comes in, I, I do feel like sometimes the ball doesn't move in the same way. But sometimes you need that change. If You need that variety. I think when you look at, you know, the totality of Brogdon's season, which, by the way, to your point, like you weren't entirely wrong without be, with being cautious cautiously you know optimistic or hesitant uh before the season he played 67 games this year that's the most games he's played since his rookie season so you weren't wrong as far as you know injury management and, he, and he's been able to sustain it you know throughout the year but i think when you look at malcolm brogdon's game and what he's brought to this team throughout the season and you project why he's such an exciting addition is he brings an element the celtics clearly did not have in last year's postseason and when you look at that warrior series not only was everybody tired because there wasn't the depth, Rob was playing hurt, you know, but there just wasn't enough juice offensively. Malcolm Brogdon can bring that juice without having, even if the game is in a place where, you know, things aren't flowing correctly, he can create his own flow. And that's something that we, you know, we know Jalen Brown can do, we know Jason Tatum can do. And kind of last year, you know, we were like, after the two of them, if they weren't having it or the defense was scheming so hard against them and the Warriors obviously were, were a pretty good matchup for us or a tough matchup for us, I should say, it was, Marcus, what do you got? You know, it was it was, it was kind of just looking around the room to say, is this going to be one of those Al nights? You know, Derek wasn't playing the way that Derek White's been playing, who we'll talk about later. And so we kind of ran out of options. Malcolm Brogdon is a guy that, you know, he averaged 14.9 points this year, one six man of the year. That's his lowest scoring point total since his second year in the league when he averaged 13 points. This is a guy that traditionally averages 15, 16, has averaged over 20 points per game. It's a brand new element, and the role that he's able to play on this team because of the depth, like you said, allows him to be so much more efficient, and that's why you see him with borderline, you know, 50, 40, 90 numbers. I think he shot, what, 48% from the, he shot 48% from the field, 44, over almost 45% from three-point land, and then 87% from the free-throw line. That's the guy that you're bringing in. You know, Greg and I talked about this on the last podcast. With him and Rob Williams, which they totally changed game two in that first quarter when when they came in, you know, with the two of them coming off the bench, Celtics really have a seven-man starting unit. 
that they're utilizing as bench and role players. That's the depth of this team. And, you know, I, I think between him and Quickly, I, I honestly, I think Quickly had a great year. I wouldn't have been able to make a super strong case that I think Brogdon deserved it, you know, definitively over over quickly. And, and as you saw in the voting, it was relatively close. It wasn't necessarily a, a runaway, but it was clearly the two of them that were leading the charge. And like you said, I think the traditional that he played every single game off the bench, plus the Celtics being the two seed, led him to to, to go ahead and, and bring home the award. Yeah, I mean, you're making the biggest impact off the bench for the best team or one of the best teams in the league, right? Yeah. I also think that, and this isn't something I'd expect voters to look at, but I also believe that Brogdon's presence has actually brought the best out of Derek White. I think it's brought some of the best out of Marcus Smart. Obviously, this has been a down year for Smart defensively, but he's been more balanced. There's been less no, 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 yes shots, but there's also been less... How the hell did he make that play on defense? It's mm-hmm. just been a more balanced version of Marcus Smart. And to be honest with you, through the regular season, with Smart being your lead point guard, I think you go with that balance more than the swings. And then you kind of ride those swings in the postseason a little bit more because you know you've got Brogdon and White. But I do think that Brogdon's presence has kind of elevated those around him in the guard rotation. Obviously, Peyton Pritchard is going to have a completely different opinion to that. But, sorry, Peyton. Yeah. Um But, you know, I do think that Brogdon, his presence has elevated the team in terms of not having something they didn't have last year. But I think he's also brought the best out of the guys around him because these these three dudes are competing for minutes. Derek White has all of a sudden dislodged randomly, a guard. Derek White has basically dislodged Robert Williams because you can't go double big and not have Derek White in the starting five. And, you know, I don't think Brogdon was ever going to be in contention for a starting role because that wear and tear on his body against a a slightly better defensive lineup to start and close games. You don't want to put that on him because that's where the injury concerns come from. Right. Yeah. But yeah, I think that his impact has been greater than what I expected. I think even the people that were excited to get him didn't expect that level of consistency from him. Uh, Honestly, I think that him, being on this roster, if they face the Warriors again, which is a big if, because they might not even get past the Kings. I know they won yesterday and it's 2-1 now, but, you know, if it was to be a Boston Warriors finals, I don't see a way in which the Warriors repeat what they did last year, because yeah. Brogdon just gives you too much. Yeah, and, and a big part of this, about him, to your point of, of him coming off the bench, that was always the plan. That was the plan from day one, is that he was going to be the sixth man, and I think the last point that, that I want to hit here before we take a break, Brad Stevens does not miss, baby. He does not miss. The man is in fuego. Now, I'm, I'm taking this from, I saw a tweet last night from uh, Brian Barrett, who's the host of the Off the Pike podcast over on The Ringer. Here's just a quick list of what Brad Stevens has brought in and what's gone out. So incoming, we have Al Horford, Derek White, and your sixth man of the year, Malcolm Brogdon. Here's what's gone out. A 2023 first-rounder coming up this season. Malik Fitz, Nick Stauskas, Daniel Tice, Jawan Morgan, Aaron Neesmith, Romeo Langford, Josh Richardson, a 2022 first-rounder that turned into Blake Wesley, Kemba Walker, a 2021 first-rounder that turned into Alperin Sengun, and there's a 2025 second-rounder that hasn't gone, that hasn't come to fruition yet. Think about that list, and think about the impact of Al Horford, Derek White, and Malcolm Brogdon, two of which already helped you get to a finals and nearly win a finals against an all-time dynasty team in the Warriors. 
And now you're adding the two of them, one of which Derek White is having maybe the best season of, which which is funny in all this with Malcolm Brogdon winning the sixth man of the year award. You know, Marcus Smart won defensive player of the year last year. Derek White right now, you'd have to say, is the best out of the three of them. You know, Derek White has been that special this season and in this and in this playoff run. You add Brogdon. This is just, you know, he's only two years into the job. Remember that Brassy was only two years into this job. And these are the returns that he's gotten. And I think he just needs a, a massive tip of the cap for the work that he's done. Yeah, I mean, look, Alperen Sengun's good. I like Alperen Sengun. I think he's got a good high ceiling. I'm not choosing him over Al Horford for a team that's contending right now. For right now, he's not the answer. Yeah, for he's not, not right answer. now. You lose Campbell Walker, according to Ennis Cantor, Campbell Walker was cooked at this point. And, you know, you're not choosing Kemba over Derek White at this point in time. It's just not happening. Mm-hmm. Everybody else and a couple of draft picks, whatever. I think that one one thing I do want to mention is, yeah, okay, so Derek White's probably the best out of three guys right now. Smart's a defensive player of the year last season. Brogdon's a sixth man of the year this season. There's a very good chance Derek White ends the year as an all-NBA defensive player. Yeah, You know, just an all-NBA defensive team. Obviously, I know DPOY has already gone to Jaron Jackson. Mm-hmm. Um, but at which point then, you've got two guards. One was a 2022 defensive player of the year. One's a 2023 all-defense. And then you've got a sixth man of the year in your third guard. And... Brad it's a hell Stevens. of a backcourt, man. Yeah, God and then it. you've got an Al Horford that literally revamped his game in one offseason and become one of the best three-point shooters, period, in the NBA for the entire year. The dude don't miss. He does, does not miss. Not miss. Past, past Brad Stevens, the rock, he does not miss. The man is lighting it up, deserves all the flowers, just an incredible run of moves that are put together, this Celtics roster. We're going to take a quick break and we come back. Let's talk a little bit, Adam, about what's happened in the series and, and what you've been seeing through your eyes. Whether you're a world-class athlete or a podcaster like me, we all understand the importance of mental and physical well-being and proper recovery for top-notch performance. That's why I'm excited that Unified Healing is sponsoring podcasts on the Blue Wire Network. Unified Healing is a new and super innovative global network of wellness centers powered by Energy Enhancement System, or EE System. If you haven't heard of the EE System yet, then you'll want to listen up. This technology promotes wellness, deep relaxation, purification, and rejuvenation. Wherever you are across the globe, access to a center is easy and affordable. Interested in experiencing the EE System technology for yourself? Go to unifiedhealing.com slash bluewire to learn more and find a center near you. That's unified, U-N-I-F-Y-D, healing.com slash bluewire. No material or testimonials on the Unified Healing website are intended to be viewed as medical advice or a substitute for professional medical advice, diagnosis, or treatment. Always seek the advice of your physician or other qualified healthcare provider with any questions you may have regarding a medical condition or treatment and before undertaking a new healthcare regimen, including EE system. Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. All right, Adam. So... Celtics are up 2-0, heading into Atlanta for Game 3 tonight as of this recording here. 
you know, I'm curious. I, I know you've put out a couple of breakdowns of, you know, different plays from these first two games. Schematically, what are you seeing that's made the Celtics so successful and so dominant in these first two games? Okay, I think the first thing, let's be honest, is the fact that Atlanta are absolutely awful on defense. <laughs> and um, that helps. That helps. Yeah, I mean, it helps a lot, right? The, they, I, I don't see a wing defender that's containing Jason or Jalen on their rotation. You know, DeAndre Hunter might be the guy that believes he can do that, but it's not really there. DeJounte Murray can only guard one guard. You know what I mean? He's like, I just don't think they have the defense there. But what I have noticed is the Celtics are running a lot of wing actions. So a lot of stagger screens, a lot of pin downs. And they've done that through the season. But it feels like it's a big, big focus point right now is run actions on the wing to get switches and then all of a sudden attack middle. And if you watch that Hawks game back in the third quarter, you hear the Hawks shouting, no middle, no middle, which is a defensive system that means don't let the dude get mid go middle. Don't let him get into the center of the court. It's very simple. It's very hard to do when you don't have good screen navigators, when you don't have much length, when the Celtics in game two, they didn't do it so much in game one, but in game two, they relentlessly just took advantage of every mismatch. Trey Young was getting smoked. Um, there's a lot there, right? I think that what they're doing on the wings at the moment with their screening actions, there was a play in the second in the second game and it was just so harsh on Trey Young because he didn't see it coming. And I don't know if I've tweeted this out or not. It might be on my Instagram. If it's not, it will be later today. But there was a play where it was like Jason Tatum's on the ball. I think it's Tatum. Al Horford sets the screen. Tatum comes over the screen, gets, I think it's Clint Capella gets switched onto him on the wing. As Clint Capella switches onto him, Smart is all the way down on like the low post on the strong side, but he's on the low post. And who's who's trying to guard Smart? But Trey Young. As soon as that switch happens, so Tatum hasn't even come off that screen properly from Horford yet. As soon as it happens, Smart just sprints into Capella, sets a back screen. All of a sudden, Trey Young's like, where the hell's Marcus Smart gone? I'm on the low block. Jason Tatum's like, boom, I got Trey Young. Straight to the bucket, finished with a left-handed shot. And it was so quick, and Young just didn't read what was happening around mm-hmm. him that he just got left on an island, and Tatum got an easy bucket, right? And I think that's been a big, big focus point as well, is like, because we can punish these guys, because they're struggling to deal with this, the screening actions that we're throwing at them, maybe we just pressure the rim more. Yeah. Maybe we just get downhill a bit more. And there's been, a, I'd say, you know, I think... I think on the season, I'd have to check this, but it was around about 26% of Boston's offense came at the rim. In game two, 33 or 34% came at the rim. That's a significant jump when you're talking about total shot attempt. They've got 98 shots inside the paint. 98 in two games. 98 shots. Probably took them about six months to get there in the regular season. It, it, It definitely feels, and this was, I think, one of our worries coming into the postseason is, hey, when you see this advantage, I know we're a three point shooting team. That's where we've kind of cut our teeth this season. We get it. That's part of quote unquote Missoula ball. But with the opportunities there, are we going to strike? And, you know, we already touched on this in, in the first segment about how Brogdon and Rob really switched in that, you know, in that first um, second half of the first quarter in game two, how they switched up kind of the momentum of that game because Atlanta did come out a little bit feisty. They got a little bit hot from from three point range. And I really thought about just the easy buckets they got with Rob Williams at the end of that first quarter, the second half of that first quarter. He got three easy buckets, getting Bogdanovich or getting whoever it might be kind of pinned down and just getting a nice, easy lob 
really easy buckets at I mean it took him until I think the third quarter to miss the first his first shot of the series never mind the game his first shot of the series because the Celtics are looking for him and getting those easy buckets now one thing I want to touch on because you, you talked about kind of hunting Trey Young right on the on the on the offensive end for the Celtics and that's not necessarily just the way that they've been trying to target Sam Hauser which newsflash is not really working out all that well shout out to Sam Hauser who's been who's been playing some really nice defense in his little bit of time and he's been on the court but it's hunting Trey Young not just on ball but off ball right finding ways to put him into actions that allow for mismatches on other parts of the court so what I'm curious to know if you've seen anything in and Greg and I have talked about this without digging in probably as much as you have to the actual tape after the games we've been doing it kind of live or in the reaction is that anytime it feels like the Hawks have a chance it's usually when Trey Young is on the bench so when Trey Young is off it feels like it's a little bit harder it gives that at least the Hawks a better balance we just talked about this consistency balance that Marcus Smart is having I think for the Hawks their team is a lot more balanced when they actually have Trey Young off the court. Have you seen anything in your in your rewatches or your film, Adam, that that indicates that to be true? That when Trey Young does sit, it feels like the Hawks actually do have a better chance. Yeah, I mean, how can I put this? I was just pulling up the numbers. I haven't got them up at the moment, but it does feel that way, right? You you put Dejounte Murray at your point of attack, but you're not hiding somebody. So now. It feels like there's five legitimate defenders on the floor. Not high-level defenders, but NBA-level defenders. But even just size and people yeah. give a shit, quite frankly. Yeah. You know what I mean? Oh, like Trey Young is just is just is just kind of uninterested at times in, in defending until the ball finds his way kind of near him. And he's like, oh crap, I'll contest. But he's also then six feet and it's not gonna make a difference to an NBA player. I mean, I genuinely believe Trey Young is one of the worst defensive players in the league. I don't think that's an egregious statement. Uh, I do think that, as you say, when Trey Young's not on the floor, they look a little bit more stern, robust might be the word defensively. They're forcing more live ball turnovers. They're fighting for their rebounds a bit more because there's no one having to worry about where Trey Young is. And if Trey Young is getting beat off ball, is he getting back cut? Is he getting face cut? Are they running a screening action to try and get Trey Young onto someone who's about to receive? You don't have to worry about none of that shit because Trey's not there. And I'm just going to put up the numbers in a moment because I, I am interested to see what the on-off is. I know it's only a two-game sample size and that's a bit of a flawed metric, but I definitely want to see. But yeah, I think there's a very notable difference in how well Atlanta have played on both sides of the floor without mm -hmm. Trey there. And I do genuinely believe defense generates good offense. And yeah. without Trey there, you're playing good defense. So obviously your offense is going to receive that boost that comes with that. Yeah, and you know, with Atlanta, there hasn't been a time where, you know, I said this especially after game one, where, you know, the Celtics were up by 30, and then the Hawks cut it to 12 twice. And just because they cut it down to 12, it felt like the game got a little bit closer than it ever actually truly got when you go back and do it rewatch that game was never really in question. But there was and there have been over these first two games a few runs that have been led by those trailless lineups in which it feels like, Hey, if the Hawks had this consistently and they were more running more stuff through DeJounte versus, you know, versus versus Trey young, there might be something here. There might be something. And this is going to be, I think a lingering question in the off season for sure for the Atlanta Hawks, they have a giant Trey, you know, Trey young question and it becomes, you know, Maybe is it time to sell? Do they give another year to, to try to work it out with Quinn Snyder? We'll have to see, you know, what that looks like for them. But in the series, it does feel like if that's if they're going to have any chance to get back into it, 
that's going to be, you know, the way that that, that they have to play. Uh, Adam, I know you're still looking up those numbers here. You, you got those for us? Yeah, basically. So I'm cleaning the glass, so it's a nightmare to kind of get your head around. And I'm just trying to do it for the playoffs. Okay, so... <laughs> I'm excited okay. for these results now. Okay, so the row showed a difference in how a team performed with the player run versus off the court for each of the stats. The blue numbers showed the player's percentile rank. Okay, so at the moment, Trey Young is a minus 25.5. Mm-hmm. When he's on the court. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So they're 25.5 points worse off with Trey Young on the court than off. <laughs> That's, they're giving up 30 points, 30.9 points extra with Trey off the floor than when he's on. Now, let's be fair. Trey is on the floor for the majority of the game. Yeah. He's played 105 minutes over two games. Is that right? That sounds a lot. How many minutes do you say he's played? 105. That's yeah, that's minutes. not right. Yeah, no, he's he's, aver- right. he's he's only averaging 34 minutes per game here. But yeah, I don't uh, know what what cleaning the glass is doing here. Well, that's but, okay. And- I, but I think it makes the point. And either way, what we're trying to say is that you know he he probably needs to play less. I mean, he's playing. He is playing less right now than Dejounte Murray. So right now, Dejounte Murray has been averaging about 38 minutes per game. Trey Young's at 34.3. He's he's actually just barely above DeAndre Hunter. Yeah. So I, I mean, you can see that. You know, we're not crazy. Quinn Snyder sees it too. He's playing the quote-unquote star player of his team less because they are having more success in that, you know, in that area with with him off the court. So I think your point stands, even if we don't we don't have the exact figures. I think the numbers include like the amount of minutes on. I don't know that the numbers are crazy, but yeah, basically defensively he's awful, and the team is much better when Dejounte Murray is on the floor and Trey Young is not on the floor. I think that's where we're getting at. And I think that goes a lot towards as well. They play smaller a lot of the time, even with Trey off the floor. Atlanta are quite a small team in general. And it makes life difficult for the Celtics because they have to match that pace, right? I mean, you can do it with Trey on the floor too, but obviously the defense isn't there. But now you're forcing the Celtics to have to play at a certain speed that maybe an octave or two octaves above the a notch or a, not, a couple of notches above what the Celtics want to operate mm-hmm. at. And, you know, you've seen it when the Celtics try and play faster than where they're comfortable. Turnovers happen, right? Yeah. yeah turnovers sloppy, happen. Exactly. Bad. Like they start smoking layups. They start driving into guys that are pinching in from the wings and it's easy to poke the ball loose. But even doing that, Playing that way, that brand of basketball for Atlanta isn't sustainable because they don't have enough depth on their on their bench to be able to be like, right, we're subbing out DeAndre Hunter. Oh, shit, who can we put in? Do you know what I mean? Yeah. Uh, then it's John Collins, and now, you know, Collins has got to move to Which, five. by the way, let's, let's talk about John Collins here just for a second. I mean, he's been a complete non-factor in this series yeah. for, for, for all the talk over the last feels two, three years now of his trade value and him being on the market and you know what the Hawks want. And, you know, at one point before the Celtics turned it around a year ago, they were certainly rumored in the, in the John Collins mix, you know, would it even be Marcus smart for, for John Collins or, you know, what the, whatever the different rumors were. And, and thank God that wasn't the case. And I, I've never been a huge John Collins. Guy. I have nothing wrong with John Collins. I just don't get the hype on John Collins. And I look at a series like this where 
we know that this is not a good matchup, but he's just such a complete non-factor. It, it's it's part of the reason for me. I could never imagine investing, making a serious investment, whether it's with trade assets or twenty plus, you know, twenty twenty five million dollars, whatever his contract ended up being, being that he got. Why I never really seen that vision of him being that type of guy. See, so I will argue that the team he's on and the pieces around him don't complement or accentuate what he does well. It's very much that he's put in a position to fail rather than mm-hmm. being put in a position to succeed. You know, John Collins is a pick and pop threat as a perimeter screener, as a secondary or tertiary rebounding threat. Fine. I think he can be a really, really good player for you in that role when he's surrounded by good wing defenders that are going to keep Collins from having to be like a, a last line of defense type of guy, right? When you've got good help defense, when you've got good perimeter defense. Collins can thrive. There isn't any of that for Atlanta, and they don't run. The thing with Atlanta is, uh, and this was more under, um, fuck, what was his name? Who's the coach they fired? It's gone out of my head. Uh, it was, um, guy, I just thought about this. Lloyd, no, was it Lloyd Pierce? No, it wasn't Lloyd Pierce. That was no, before. It, it, was, it was Lloyd Pierce, and then it went to Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan. Nate McMillan, like there we go. Yeah. And this was more of a factor under Nate McMillan, but a lot of what Atlanta were running under McMillan was guard-to-guard actions. They didn't, it was basically Murray gets a turn to initiate and score. Trey Young gets a turn to initiate and score. And then if anybody else gets a chance to score, great, but it's because one of the other two guys got shut down, right? Quinn Snyder's trying to change that, but he's only been in charge like 27, 28 games at this yeah. point. He, and it's like, tough to do. Yeah, it's really tough to do. And Collins just isn't featured in any way, shape, or form to make an impact. So when he gets a chance to shoot a free, he's not in great rhythm. He's not. His feet aren't set. So I'm not probably as out on him as what some people are, but I also do think he's overhyped. Mm-hmm. And I think that he's completely underutilized as well. So yeah, he's been a non-factor. And I'm not just to point this out. Someone said to me the other day on socials, they were like, oh, well, John Collins' presence means is a perfect reason to play Grant Williams in this series. I just want to point out that the Celtics aren't playing man-to-man defense. You might put Grant Williams on John Collins, but he's not going to stay there. Mm-hmm. He's going to have to guard the DeAndre Hunter, the DeJounte Murray, and he's going to get smoked because that's not his defensive matchup. So I understand why Grant's not playing. I have my yeah. thoughts on that, and I'm kind of not 100% down with him not playing because you're about to throw him into a series against Philly, having not played in two or three weeks, and be like, go and guard Embiid. And the dude's going to be like, dude, I'm out of rhythm. I can't guard that monster. It's going to take me three or four games to get my feeling back. So yeah, it's a it, it's definitely potentially a catch twenty two. Yeah, let's let's save that topic because uh, I do think that's one that we should we should dive into at a different point. But for right now, let's take one last final break. We'll come back and let's let's talk about game three specifically. All right, Adam. Game three tonight in Atlanta. What is the number one factor that will drive the Celtics? going up 3-0 by the end of tonight? Number one factor, more rim pressure. I think that the Celtics have a chance to, or there is a chance that the Celtics struggle to convert their three-point shots in a hostile environment in Atlanta. I think that by pressuring the rim early, you're going to be able to kind of silence the, the crowd. You need to take that crowd out of the equation quickly. Now, the last two games, you've managed to run up some leads in the early, like midway through the first, early in the second, you've ran up a lead. 
the Celtics crowd has got into it. You need to do the same now, but for the opposite reason. You need to shut whoever is in Atlanta Stadium up. Keep them quiet all the way through, and then, you know, you can go to your freeze. I also think that Jalen Brown is due a big night playing in front of a hometown crowd. That was actually be my number one thing is I, I want to see what and you know of course we're we're on kind of Jalen Brown hand watch right you know there's I, we talked about it last game I think his first shot the, immediately the announcers talked about him starting to flex then in the second half he has that dunk to start the half same thing you know it, it feels like those stitches are in a, a tricky place uh, and, and we talked about the turnovers you know he's been the number one culprit when it comes to some of the turnovers here he's averaging five turnovers a game just in these first two um and, and some of those are decisions some of those feel like maybe it's the hand maybe it's a little bit of the ball handling uh is affected by that or maybe just mentally he's thinking about that but like you said him coming into his hometown I think this is going to be a game where Jalen Brown you know really wants to to make a statement and we've seen a lot of these hot first quarter Jalen Brown moments where he comes out and has, you know, 14 points in the first eight minutes of a game. That's something that I'm expecting tonight. So I don't know if you can bet on an over under for the first quarter for Jalen Brown, but depending on what that line is, I'd probably look to take the over. You know, I think Jalen Brown is is going to try to to make a statement. But I think your first point of continuing to get downhill, I mean, we said this coming into the series, and it's proved very true. The spacing the Celtics have, even Clint Capella said it. He's like, I got to guard Al Horford. I can't leave Al Horford. He he shot 45% from three on the year. Like, I can't go protect the rim for my teammates the way that I normally would because of the way Boston is spaced out. And the way they're spaced out, specifically, Derek White and Jason Tatum are just living at the rim. Talked about Derek White last game was 9 of 11 inside the paint. 9 of 11. Just getting downhill time after time, a lot of time picking on Trey Young while that's happening. And then you throw in guys like Brogdon, Jalen Brown, they can also get downhill. Robert Williams has been a little bit more assertive in getting his post position, getting into the dunker spot, being available for those dump offs. So I, I think living at the rim, like you said, is going to be key. And then on the defensive end, you know, it's, I really think for the Hawks, it, it kind of needs to. We talked about Trey Young not playing, but Trey Young getting hot or DeJounte Murray getting hot. Like they're going to need some combo or, you know, some something from one of the two of them where they have an out-of-body experience. I really think that's what it's going to take for them to to get a win in the series is that probably both of them at the same time are going to have to hit some type of streak where they're both hovering around the 30-point mark and they're hitting, you know, they're, they're being efficient with the shots that they're making as well. Yeah, it's going to be like Super Saiyan Fusion, right? You're going to need Gotenks and Trunks to Whatever fuse that together. means, but yes. Yes, people that like Dragon Ball Z will know exactly what I'm talking about. <laughs> um, even then, right, right. So Trey Young goes off, Trey Young drops 50, Murray drops 25. So that's 75 points, right? Which is a lot. Which is <laughs> a, a lot. lot to ask. Yeah. Where's the rest of their points coming from? Capella hasn't really been a big factor. We've just said John Collins hasn't been a big factor. DeAndre Hunter might get you eleven, maybe twelve. Like As, he, he's another one because he's going to get the shots right. We're, we're yeah. going to be okay with DeAndre Hunter getting the shots. Bogdanovich, I think, has been solid in this series. I think he probably actually needs to even play a little bit more. I he's think actually been, has been probably one of the biggest offensive threats. Exactly. So I think that's that's the answer as to where else it comes from. And then DeAndre Hunter was going to have to have a game where he gets hot. I mean, he started off last game, I think, either three of three or four or four, and then finished with I think five total field goals made out of you know fifteen shots or or whatever it was. So DeAndre Hunter is a guy that that you're just gonna 
you know, he, he's going to have to fill that, you know, that Lou Dort type of role where it's we're going to yeah. live and die with with this guy shooting because, you know, and if, and if he makes seven out of ten threes, good for him. We're, we're banking. You're not doing that four times in a series. And even if you do, I think we still might be able to beat you is, is what the Celtics are saying. Yeah, and a lot of it's going to come down to rebounding as well. I think this series was always going to be whoever controls the glass controls their own fate. Like, And I think that a lot of it was blown out of proportion when Capella had that big nut against Miami. Yeah, right. Miami has no size. They have their yeah. Bam, and then they. Can you name me there? I mean, it's it's him and Cody Zeller for five minutes. Is, or maybe is Omar Yurtsevin if he's healthy. I mean, he doesn't even. If he, he hasn't cracked the rotation yet. You know, at least at least in these meaningful games. Not in the meaningful games. I don't think. But like, I think that the glass controlling the glass is going to be big, especially away from home, where those type of plays really invigorate a team. They invigorate the crowd. Making sure you don't get a DeAndre Hunter putback or a big time second possession when you're down, when the team's training by five and you're, you're really breathing life back into them. You're breathing hope back into them. If you control the glass, do exactly what you've done games one and two, maybe make the odd tweak. Maybe you don't have Horford in drop as much. Maybe you switch one through five. Maybe you go a little bit of zone just to kind of keep things fresh and keep them guessing. Great. You're going to have some success, but overall, I don't think the Celtics need to change much because the, the Hawks can't stop them now. Yeah. So how are they going to stop them? Like, you make alterations to keep things fresh, but you also make them to find ways to attack them, attack an opponent. Well, you don't need to because this team cannot stop you. Yeah, they, they, they don't have the ability to really make the alterations necessary to make a difference. So Adam, let me ask you this here before we before we wrap up, just in case, because we know the game the second game. So game three is tonight. Game four will be Sunday night. So I'm sure Greg and I will have a reaction pod right after that game. We'll know what would have would have happened, and you know maybe the Celtics have wrapped up the series at that point. We'll see. But in case we don't see you, just because that so it's a little little early in the morning your time there to to hop on on that particular podcast. Give us your prediction for the weekend, not just game three. Give us your prediction for the weekend. Our you know, by the next time you're on this podcast, are we preparing for round two or are we still talking about the Hawks? Get the brooms, baby. Let's go. Get those brooms, dude. I'm waking up Monday morning knowing it's been a sweep. I'll be uh, chilling and watching a lot of Sixers footage. No, I won't because I, the Sixers are a hard watch. But I'll watch a little bit of Sixers footage. Yeah, man. They, I mean, they, they're up 3-0 in Brooklyn. Looks like they're going to put them away. The you know Embiid last night, man, went down about two, three different times. Where you know I really hope Brooklyn squeaks out a win in that series because the more we get a banged up Embiid, the better I like our chances, and I'm mean, I like our chances already. And so the more you get a banged up Embiid, the better it looks for Boston. Everything's coming up Celtics right now. Get the Hawks. Embiid's already looking beaten up. It's looking like a nice path that we got here, Adam. But that's gonna do it for this episode of Green with Envy. Make sure that y'all enjoy the game tonight. Greg and I will be back after game four. Maybe we'll have something else in the mix. I don't know. Stay tuned. We don't know. There's so many things that are happening with this team. We might be back with more. We might have a bonus podcast. So make sure that you are subscribed to the feed. Make sure you're following us on YouTube. We're uploading all of these videos uh, onto our YouTube channel. Make sure you're hitting us up on the IG at Adam Taylor MBA at Green MB Pod. Make sure you are following us. Adam, any uh, any final thoughts here before we uh, before we send this to the Black Sheep Optimist? Sunday, Jason Tatum, 50-piece to close the series. Boom. Mic drop. We're out of here. Peace, y'all. Enjoy the games tonight. 
I wish it that I never seen the stars in your eyes A glimpse of what I'm missing, think it's a mirage Ooh, you got me tripping and it's hard to describe But I stay for a minute cause I'm digging the vibe I like the way you're looking at the look in my eyes Don't be casual feelings when it's only a vibe Don't know what the deal is, I'm a typical guy You know the one thing different is the state of your mind I'm like, oh my, my, someone throw me a rope I'm getting too damn high, didn't know I could float You could call it a vibe, it's probably all that you wrote But I'll be doing this shit finally if I didn't have hope Cause you know that I embody, that's what go with the flow I could sing a different song if I could not hit the notes You had me taking off when you took off your clothes It should be coming down by now, but I won't